When it comes to men's international football, the Republic of Ireland's class of 82 was one of their greatest. Taj Martin for Ireland. Back in again. Stippler gets ahead. Own Hand's team had agonisingly missed out on qualifying for the World Cup that summer on goal difference. With a squad filled with star names like Frank Stapleton, Ronnie Whelan, Mark Lawrenson, David O'Leary, Chris Hewton and Liam Brady. But instead of the World Cup, they were heading to a country at war. After several days of rising tension in our relations with Argentina, that country's armed forces attacked the Falkland Islands yesterday and established military control of the islands. Ireland's 1982 tour of South America would go down as one of the most farcical episodes in Irish football history. They said, well, what do you mean it can't be Argentina? I said, we're taking another war with Argentina. Four games, three defeats, two cancellations, one big fiasco. But just how did half the squad end up being detained by armed police? And how did a carpet salesman from Limerick end up sitting amongst the cigarette smoke and samba of Brazil's 1982 World Cup squad? Fechado, perigoso, Serginho! Shooting began at 6 o'clock. By 6.20, we heard Spanish voices shouting through megaphones, Governor, come out, Mr Hunt, come out, you are surrounded. The Argentinian Marines have taken the island. On April 2nd, 1982, Argentina invaded a remote British colony in the South Atlantic, known as the Falkland Islands. Britain has ruled the islands for more than 150 years, but Argentina has been claiming sovereignty over them. For the next two weeks, the world watched as Britain sent a huge military task force 8,000 miles south to reclaim the contested outcrop. Well, stepping back now from the political crisis over the Falkland Islands, we return to Buenos Aires, where our reporter Gerald Barry took time off to see the world champions Argentina play Russia in soccer last night. 1982 was also World Cup year, and Argentina were reigning champions. Well, shortly after the match ended, there were the traditional news conferences given by the managers of the opposing side. The Argentine manager, Cesar Menotti, said that uh, he was uh, exceptionally pleased with the performance of his side. The teams that qualified, like Brazil and Argentina, needed warm-up games to prepare. But then when he went on to deal with their further preparations uh, for the World Cup finals, Menotti said that they would be having more matches, at least one, and that the next one was most likely to be against Ireland. And he named a possible date, 19th of May. Shortly after this announcement on April 14th, Football Association of Ireland Secretary Padre O'Driscoll confirmed a trip of a lifetime for the Irish team. A tour of South America was planned for May 1982, one that would bring in a fee of £50,000 to the cash-strapped association. The man with the job of putting the team together was Owen Hand. My name is Owen Hand and I was manager of the Irish international team from 1980 to 85. The excitement of, of the whole tour, you know, when we were first told about it, like that we were going to be playing Brazil, I mean, that was absolutely fantastic. And then when the FAI said, OK, and it's Brazil, Argentina and uh, Chile, I just said, well, hold on a second, you're making a mistake there. It can't be Argentina. We can't, our players are kind of, some of them are carrying English passports, you know, they, they qualify because their parents, their grandparents and all that. I remember Padre O'Driscoll, and he, he just basically said to me, 
you're a football manager, not a politician. And I mean, that kind of, I said, okay, fair enough. In other words, you're the manager, you get the team together. But I knew it was ludicrous. The itinerary consisted of four games, Peru, Chile, Brazil, and Argentina. But even as the tour was being announced, it was already in doubt, as political tensions continued to rise over the Falklands. At the same time in Brussels, the British government were calling on Ireland and their European counterparts to impose trade sanctions on Argentina in the hope of a military withdrawal from the Falklands. Jerry Collins was Minister for Foreign Affairs at the time. It was agreed that, yes, for a period of one month, for the purposes of allowing diplomatic efforts to, to succeed in trying to restore peace and get the Argentinians to understand their mistakes and pull out. And Ireland supported that. Of course we did. There was unanimity uh, within the European Union at that particular time. The French, I remember, I can recall at that time, uh, Claude Chasson, who was the French foreign minister, saying to me, that was an embarrassment to France because they had only very recently sent a big supply of Exocet missiles down to Argentina. Uh, and that didn't surprise me either, for that matter. As the Falklands crisis deepened, Owen Hand tried to assemble a squad for the tour to South America. He had to ask the British clubs if they would release their Irish players to play an international friendly against Argentina. In Argentina. First stop, Manchester United, to meet then-manager Ron Atkinson to seek the release of Kevin Moran, Ashley Grimes and Frank Stapleton. I took off to Old Trafford and uh, met Ron Atkinson, who I knew from my playing days. He was Oxford and I was Portsmouth. So I had a good rapport with him and uh, I just said after the game they played somebody, they'd beaten somebody, so into his office. Ron, I'm over here to just ask, we have a, a tour coming up to South America. And he said, great, OK. And he says, so who are you playing? And uh, I said, well, Brazil and Chile and uh, Argentina. And he went, you're joking, like, you know, you're joking. And I said, no, actually, that's the itinerary. And he just said, you, you, you can't be serious. You, know, you just cannot be serious. I said, unfortunately, I am. And I've just got to ask your response. He says, my response? You can tell them to fuck off. You know, your, your bosses. And I said, well, will you give us your official response? And he said, that's it, fuck off. <laughs> so, anyway, that was that, and I kind of said, OK, that's fairly definite. Giles with the free. Now it's Brady. Oh, beautifully played, he's in. Yes, Liam Brady. Liam Brady was one of the biggest football stars in the world at the time, playing in Italy for Giovanni Trapattoni's all-conquering Juventus team, alongside the likes of Dino Zoff, Claudio Gentile, Paolo Rossi and Marco Tardelli. Sulla panna sono Bredi e Gentile. Gentile tocca Bredi. Bredi ha davanti a sé. He was 26 years old and concentrating on the race for the league title in Italy when he first heard about Ireland's tour to South America. I had just had news at the end of that season that I would be leaving Juventus and my future was well and truly up in the air. This was something that I didn't really expect. I, you know, I had to sort out certain things. My wife, just we just found out that she was going to have a baby. To be honest, it was the last thing that I needed was to go on probably two weeks plus uh, end of season tour uh, to South America, you know, but 
I seem to remember Owen was really desperate to get personnel because an awful lot of the lads just said no, you know. And I think those, those were the days where, you know, you wouldn't necessarily have to have permission from FIFA, you know, to prove that you were injured or something like that. The lads just point blank said no. Liverpool lads didn't travel, the Man United lads didn't travel, so I think that was half the team. We, you know, we were left with scratching around trying to make up a squad to go, and Owen was desperate. Uh, I had these things in the background, but I decided to go. Fifth the ball to the right flank to O'Callaghan. It rolls away oh, beautifully from uh, Gardelo. One of the players Owen Hand expected to bring was Kevin O'Callaghan. Then a 20-year-old winger for high-flying Ipswich Town. Kevin is living in Kent and works in railway maintenance. Bit of Irish stuff there. For the first time in years, Kevin is looking through some old boxes of memorabilia from his Ireland career. Blimey, I didn't realise I had all these shirts. Well, my dad was from Cork. And uh, when I was at Millwall as a, a youngster, Johnny Joel's come over to see me. And, uh, yeah, I just decided to play for Ireland from there, really. He's also come across some old newspaper clippings with details of the FAI's deal for the tour. Oh, right, I can see now. So they were hoping to make 50 grand from the trip. We didn't get none of that. Yeah, it was sort of up in the air, really. You just didn't know what was going on. I was a young lad, I didn't care, I was just having a great time. The announcement of Ireland's game against Argentina raised eyebrows in England. 1982 was a bad year for Anglo-Irish relations. There were the continuing troubles in the north and rows with Britain over farming prices. Then, on April 18th, there was the unexplained sinking of an Irish fishing trawler in the Irish Sea. The incident happened about 35 miles northeast of the Kish Lighthouse early this afternoon. The 70-foot trawler, owned by the McAvoy family of Clogher Head, had its nets out when fishermen on other vessels say it was suddenly dragged backwards at high speed. Unexplained, that is, until the Russian ambassador met Minister for Foreign Affairs, Jerry Collins. He said, Minister, did my British colleague tell you how it was their submarine pulled down the fishing trawler? I said, no, no, not yet, not yet, but I'm sure he will. An hour or two later, I got a call from the... British Embassy to say that the ambassador would like to come and talk with me, and he did, and then admitted to, to, that, that their, one of their submarines actually got caught in the net of the Chiralgo and pulled it down. But for the Russian telling us that, we would not have known. Taoiseach Charles Hoyle was coming under increasing pressure from within his own party for backing Britain in trade sanctions on Argentina. At the European Parliament in Strasbourg, Fianna Fáil MEP Sheila de Valera accused the government of compromising Irish neutrality by going along with the trade sanctions. Own hand search for players was also not getting any easier. He travelled to Tottenham Hotspur, then club of Chris Hewton and Tony Galvin, to meet manager Keith Birkinshaw, hoping for better news. I had a great rapport with him. I'd met him plenty of times at various games. I'd be watching players and he was much more gentle, you know, and he, he was a gentleman. He just went, he says, uh, oh, no, I didn't hear you right there. And I said, you can't be playing Argentina. I said, unfortunately, yes, but, I, I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous. But I've got to ask you, can we get the players? Can we get Tony Galvin and Chris Hutton? And he just basically said, uh, no. 
At the time, Tottenham was also home to two star Argentinians in Ozzy Ardiles and Ricky Villa. And the Falklands crisis would lead to Ardiles temporarily leaving the club on loan. Ozzy Ardiles was with, with uh, uh, and he had to leave and go to Paris to play with, I think, Paris Saint-Germain because he could not play. And then Ricky Villa, another one, was, another one was an Argentinian player. So I mean, it's the country at war over the Falklands, you know. So I just went back to the FEI and I said, now I've proved a point. Well, what about all the rest of them? I said, rest of them. I'd rang Terry Neal, Arsenal, and I'd rang other managers. And of course, I knew the obvious response was, I can't believe this. In the South Atlantic, final attempts at a diplomatic resolution had failed. Argentina had long contested sovereignty of the Falkland Islands, but now they were at war with Britain for them. On May 1st, 1982, British bombers began attacking Argentine air defences as Britain launched a full-scale military operation. A day later, on May 2nd, 16 days before Ireland were due to play in Buenos Aires, a British submarine torpedoed and sunk the Argentine warship, the General Belgrano. Well, within the past hour, the Ministry of Defence in London have been giving details of the latest attacks. The cruiser was hit by two torpedoes. According to our latest reports, she had not sunk. But we believe that she suffered severe damage. The attack led to over 300 deaths and was widely condemned as news emerged that the ship was positioned outside an exclusion zone. There have been expressions of shock in many European capitals at the extent of the casualties. The Irish ambassador at the United Nations has written to the president of the Security Council calling for a special meeting to discuss the crisis. And certainly the realisation that this is a shooting war and, um, uh, you know, people can get hurt at it. I think it's come home. The Belgrano's shocking death toll prompted an almost immediate change of position from the Irish government, who called for an end to the trade sanctions being imposed on Argentina. The move further tested the relationship between Taoiseach Charles Hoghy and British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher. At that particular time, I can recall quite clearly, a delegation coming from Argentina to meet with us, and I met them. Former Minister for Foreign Affairs, Jerry Collins. It was led by an Argentinian with a lovely Irish name of O'Sullivan, but he was the head of the Argentinian Chambers of Commerce, and uh, he, made all, he gave us all the reasons why he felt that we should not support the British, and he tried to justify the Argentinian side. We listened to him, of course, most carefully, and gave due consideration to what he had to say. There were something, I think, at the time, like a half a million people of Irish origin there. And uh, when the British then came for a renewal of sanctions, well, it was a different scene because the purpose of the original sanctions was for diplomatic purposes, uh, give it a chance to work. But then war had started and it was felt by Ireland and indeed by Italy and perhaps by others, but maybe not as vocally as we were, that we were being asked to be supportive of the British invasion, a war situation down with Argentina and the Southern Atlantic. And we had difficulties with that. With British clubs refusing to release any players, Republic of Ireland manager Own Hand was forced to look closer to home and less experienced players were going to get a go on the international stage. In Dublin, he was preparing for the FAI Cup final against Bohemians at Daly Mount Park in his other role as player manager of Limerick FC. And now Limerick are in a challenging position as Walsh came through. Johnny Walsh. 
Midfielder Johnny Walsh was one Limerick player own hand knew he could rely on if needed. Johnny sells and fits carpets in Limerick. Next job now is around. I've got two vinyls to do in Duradoyle. Much the same as he did back in 1982 while juggling his professional football career. Look, the truth of it was if Old Hen wasn't manager at the time, I probably, I, not that I probably, I wouldn't have got a call. It was because Owen was stuck for players. Maybe he felt uh, it would have done me a bit of good. I don't know what he's thinking. It was, uh, <laughs> I've never really discussed it too too much with him. Oh, we all knew the circumstances. Our one hand. But, I mean, Johnny was obviously, in my mind, he was a very good play, playmaker. As far as Limerick concerned, he was like my John Giles. But I mean, you're talking about a totally different level for senior internationals against Brazil. But we needed players, you know. Liam Brady. It had happened in my time playing for Ireland that when we were short of players, we, you know, under Johnny Giles' management, I played with a few League of Ireland players, so that wasn't a problem. When you're when you're stuck, you're stuck. The time off work was a big factor back then because I was in the job a few years, but uh, I was after buying a house very shortly before that, and at the time interest rates were huge and there was a pressure to pay your your bills like there always is with a mortgage. Despite the situation, Johnny Walsh wasn't daunted by the prospect of playing with seasoned Ireland internationals. I found no problem with any of them. I, I don't know what they thought of me. I mean, I felt I got on reasonably well with them all. I roomed with Tony Grealish. And to me, they were just the same as me. They were probably, I felt, a bit luckier than what I was. And that's being honest, because I felt... I was as good as any of them. I wouldn't have said that about Liam Brady because I, he was he was on a different level. May 11th, 1982. After almost a month, Owen Hand was nowhere near fielding 11 players, never mind a full squad. With British clubs not prepared to release their players, the FAI finally relented and with only seven days' notice, called off the game with Argentina. Reaction in Buenos Aires was muted, despite the disruption to their World Cup preparations. Well, yet another victim of the Falklands crisis is the Football Association of Ireland's match against Argentina, which is due to be played on May the 18th in Buenos Aires. The reaction within government buildings was much more vocal as Fianna Fáil TD Niall Andrews expressed his frustration on RTE. Argentina are World Cup champions. I think it would be a great honour for any soccer player to play against them. First of all, I don't accept that we haven't got the players. We, we wanted to send the best possible team. We wanted to select the players in Britain, playing with the British clubs, and this is not possible now because their managers refuse. In other words, the managers have refused to release them to play in play Argentina. Presumably, they won't have any objection to them playing in uh, Chile or any of the other countries. But we have players. We have players here in the League of Ireland. We can select those players. And if those players aren't available, it's my belief that we should reach down into the lower ranks of junior football here in, the, in, in, in Ireland. But we should not be dictated to by British managers as to who we play or when we play. In a desperate attempt to salvage some of their promised £50,000 fee for providing World Cup warm-up opposition, the tour was given the go-ahead and the FAI tentatively announced a replacement fixture 
against Honduras. With the Argentina game cancelled, Owen Hand was now hoping that the English clubs would change their minds about releasing players. On May 12th alone, with just a week to go before departure, he made 50 phone calls in a bid to fill his squad. But by now, big stars like Frank Stapleton, Kevin Moran and David O'Leary were committed to end-of-season tours with their clubs. Mick Fairclough was working in a computer factory in Drada and playing for Dundalk in the League of Ireland at the time. phone call came to the factory and it was, how are you, Mick? Are you available to come on a trip? And I couldn't believe it, like, you know, I nearly dropped the phone. <laughs> for him, it was a dream come true to pit himself against the greatest players in the world. And uh, I said, yeah. So I went straight into my manager and said, look, uh, I've got the opportunity to go. Oh, yeah, he says, go, take it, take it. Another player to receive a last-minute SOS from own hand was Mike Walsh, now semi-retired after a career in football and running a restaurant in Spain for 10 years. And making his debut at number three for Blackpool is Mike Walsh, signed this week from Manchester City. Mike Walsh made his name as a tough tackling defender with Bolton, Manchester City and later with Blackpool. He was 26 years old and playing for Everton when he received the news of his first ever international call-up from his club coach Colin Harvey. The island thing was a great boost for me at a time when I was at Everton. I'd always felt my family, Irish background and heritage, and I used to go over to Ireland as a youngster and then as a teenager, spend all the summer holidays in Ireland, in Leitrim. Uh, my grandparents were from Galway and uh, Mayo. So I have fond memories, and it was something close to me that when I did get the chance to play, uh, I remember Colin Harvey coming down the stairs at the training ground at Belfield, taking the mickey out of me with my Manchester accent, saying, you won't believe it, they've just been on towards from Ireland, asking, were you available and would you be interested? On May 18th, 1982, Ireland and Italy reopened trade with Argentina. The reaction in the British press was hostile, with the publication of anti-Irish cartoons and questions on the right of Irish emigrants to vote in British elections. In one editorial, the Sun newspaper called for a boycott of Irish butter. There can be only one explanation for the contemptible, treacherous behaviour of the Irish government. They cannot resist the chance to make mischief for Britain. And so, the Sun has this advice to housewives this morning. Don't buy Irish golden butter. And to all families, don't holiday there this summer. Despite the pressure from Britain, Taoiseach Charles Haughey defended Ireland's stance. I, I think that's just grossly irresponsible journalism, and it's the sort of journalism, unfortunately, to which we in this country have always been subjected by certain elements in the British newspapers. It's something we have to live with. As I say, it's the price we have to pay for trying to discharge uh, an honourable role as a peacekeeping, peace-loving member of the community of nations. The farcical build-up to Ireland's tour of South America continued as the Peruvian Football Association now claimed that the game with Ireland would not go ahead. They denied this was in solidarity with Argentina. Either way, the tour was now down to just two games, with the Honduran FA backing out too. Just 15 players assembled in Heathrow Airport for the trip, including Sean O'Driscoll, 
who only received a call-up on the morning of departure. They were goalkeepers Seamus McDonough and Jerry Payton, defenders Eamon DC John Anderson, Mick Martin and Mike Walsh, midfielders Liam Brady, captain Tony Grealish, Jerry Daly, Kevin O'Callaghan, Sean O'Driscoll and Johnny Walsh, and forwards Jerry Ryan, Mick Fairclough and Michael Robinson. Aside from regulars like Mick Martin, Tony Grealish and Liam Brady, the squad had only a handful of caps between them. While Mick Fairclough, Johnny Walsh, Mike Walsh and Sean O'Driscoll had none. The opening game against Chile and Santiago was just three days away. But first, there was an unexpected stop-off in Argentina, courtesy of the FAI's travel plans. Our travel arrangements hadn't changed. Former Ireland boss Owen Hand. So off we, we took getting on this plane and we weren't really aware where we were going, you know, but we were going via Buenos Aires to Santiago, I think it was, for the first match. And we, we, off we went and landed in flipping Buenos Aires. It, you know, it was pitch black. And, of course, huge commotion, like, I mean, with the, the, the authorities there, you know, with the you know, war with England. And here's lads getting off the plane with English passports. In the South Atlantic, the crisis had become a bitter and bloody conflict. HMS Sheffield was destroyed by missile fire, becoming the first British Navy warship lost in combat since World War II. Casualties were mounting on both sides, and anti-British sentiment in Argentina continued to rise as the Republic of Ireland football team landed in Buenos Aires. Because we had to land in Argentina to go on to Chile, I think it was. Mike Watch. The big scare for me was when we got to the airport. I mean, we all knew about the Falklands, and but you're thinking, well, we're a football team from Ireland. There was probably half that had English passports and half had Irish passports. Kevin O'Callaghan. I had an Irish passport at the time. The lads that had the English passports got marched off into a different room. I remember that. It's pretty scary, really, because, you know, everyone had guns around us. The way I looked at it is an Irish team. That's the problem. Johnny Watch. The fact that we were Irish, we didn't fear anything. I know I certainly didn't anyway. I thought it was a great adventure. Mike Walsh was one of those carrying a British passport and was separated from the players carrying Irish passports by the Argentinian guards. That was a time when I wish I'd had an Irish passport. They had three of us locked in a room for, it seemed like a long time. It was probably an hour, maybe a little bit more, but we were under guard, heavily armed and when they separate you from your teammates and they just stood over you and they weren't happy, there was not a smile amongst them, nobody was saying anything, maybe six, seven guards there. I don't know, it just, it, it didn't feel right, it wasn't a nice atmosphere. But um, you're thinking, well, they can't, they can't get us involved in the Falklands, can they? British troops were preparing to land on the beaches of San Carlos in the Falkland Islands. Back in Buenos Aires, Mike Walsh and the rest of the Ireland squad were eventually cleared to fly to Chile for the first game of the tour. You know, when you're a player, you never get involved in the uh, transport side of it and what's happening. And, and I was just absolutely thrilled to bits to be going, hoping that I was going to get my debut in international football. Coverage of the tour back in Ireland was scant. With no Irish reporters from TV, radio or print there, news was limited to international wires and dispatches direct from the Irish camp. Liam Brady remembers the sense of oppression in Chile, a country 
under the military dictatorship of General Pinochet at the time. That was a pretty volatile place. Uh, that had gone through huge upheaval, been a coup d'etat, the democratically elected government of Allende was, uh, was overthrown by Pinochet a couple of years before, and it was a strange place because you could actually see the people were uh, intimidated, they didn't want to talk about it, they didn't want to protest about anyone because I think they were getting lifted by the military government. And actually, I think where we played in the stadium, a lot of the atrocities went on. So that was the start of the tour. But I must admit, I enjoyed Santiago as well. I, when I went uh, on tour, especially as I got a bit older, I wanted to learn where I was playing, what was going on and so forth. I wasn't just interested in playing cards, uh, although I did a fair bit of that as well. May 21st. 1982. Chile won, Ireland nil. Despite the chaotic build-up, the first game was reasonably positive, with Ireland only losing to a first-minute goal from Miguel Angel Gamboa. The game was also a first Ireland cap for Mick Fairclough and Mike Walsh. They were particularly big, strong guys and they weren't slow in going in and it was the biggest thing that I remember was getting clattered all the time, you know, for the few times that we, the ball did come up our way, you know. You always want to win games, don't you? But it was a it was a first match for me. I'd got my feet under the table, I'd had a half-decent game. The manager said he was really pleased with what I'd done. I was happy with that, I suppose. By now, a third game had finally been arranged against Trinidad and Tobago. But first, the squad flew to Rio de Janeiro, where they had a week to prepare for the simple task of facing Brazil on home soil. And not just any Brazil side. Oh, my God. <laughs> what a hit, man. Brazil's last game before they uh, went to the World Cup, yeah which would give him all the confidence in the world. It was um, David against Goliath, really. That's the best team I've ever seen, by a mile. They were, they were frightening, you know, Socrates, Falcao, Adair, Seiko, they were just amazing. Liam Brady had signed off at Juventus by winning the league title, and many of his clubmates were part of the Italy team that would eventually win the World Cup that summer. For him, the tour to South America held one big attraction. I was thinking that I was going to play in the Maracanã Stadium in Rio, which is iconic kind of stadium. I think when we learned that we were going to Brazil, but we weren't playing in the, in the Maracanã, we had to go somewhere and place in a place we'd never heard of called Uberlandia. May 27th, 1982. Brazil versus Ireland, Uberlandia. A smaller city, 600 miles from Rio. This stadium, when we, we actually landed, I remember it was just a dirt track, and there was thousands of people lining the runway as the plane landed, and thought, what's this, what's happening here? This is like not an airport. The people who were there, they'd been walking, some of them had been walking for seven days. They sold all the cattle on the farms because they'd never get a chance to see Brazil again. 
absolutely got no money, but they were just so desperate to see the Brazil team play. Uh, and we were we were there just cannon fodder, if you like, because uh, they just wanted to see their heroes. And um, it was a, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. The stadium itself was all open, I remember. It was just terraced, but massive, absolutely massive. And they said they were expecting 100,000 people, but they didn't know because they had no way of, of keeping a check on it, but it was massively overfilled. I remember us going out to play and uh, the pitch was just, you couldn't see the greenery because it was just covered with television wires, radio wires. And they had to send us back to the dressing room while they cleared the pitch. And when we did come out, the stadium itself was absolutely rammed. This was the great Brazil team of 1982. The last of the great Brazil teams. The greatest team never to win the World Cup. We were 1-0 down at halftime and we thought we were doing really, really well. You know, I tell some stories now that we did a lap of honour at halftime, but it's not quite true, you know. Buddy, fugiu, cruzamento é perigoso. No, I mean, to be fair, we played all right in the first half against Brazil. And then uh, the second half, they come out and they just blitzed the... Falcao's first half strike was added to in the second half by two goals each from Socrates and Serginho and another one from Luzinho. I remember Zico on the day. It was incredible. Johnny Walsh. And I remember sitting on the bench... And most fellas wouldn't want to get on when to six now. But I was praying that Owen Hen would send me on for the last ten minutes. Just so I could say I played against Brazil. <laughs> but he didn't. The great Seco added one more for good measure. Final score, Brazil seven, Ireland nil. To add insult to injury, the dejected Ireland team had to share the same plane back to Rio with the jubilant Brazilians. We got the flight from Rio with the Brazilian team and then we flew straight back after the game to Rio with the Brazilian team and they was all celebrating on the plane, I remember that. And we're sitting there uh, <laughs> a bit dumbstruck really. The samba music sticks out in my head quite a bit like, yeah, and... I remember Socrates, who I thought was best player of the time, to me, in my mind. But I always remember him smoking a cigarette on the plane. <laughs> I thought, what? At that time, you could have smoked on, on flights. But yeah, he was smoking, which to me, that, that stuck out more than anything else. But yes, needless to say, we weren't really uh, over the moon being beaten. But they were in incredible form and it was like a party on the flight I mean it, it, it was yeah it was like a party that's all I can tell you I remember Liam took it particularly badly I don't think he'd ever you know been the player he was and you know where he'd come from and what he was a world-class player uh, he, he really took it to heart badly Liam like us all felt humiliated you know because 7-0 my god yeah players at that level don't suffer that type of defeat you know in the Falklands, British forces had landed at San Carlos and retaken the settlement of Goose Green after an intense battle. Relations between Dublin and London were worsening by the day, 
with Conservative MP Tony Marlowe labelling Charles Hahi a henchman for Argentina's President Galtieri in the House of Commons. The British did not accept that we had taken the stance that we did for the reasons we stated, which I think are fairly obvious. Former Minister for Foreign Affairs, Jerry Collins. Uh, and like everything else, they were under fierce pressure from Britain. Mrs Thatcher at the time, she wasn't enjoying great popularity at that stage and that she played the old Empire Days card and rattled the sabres and banged the drums, as it were, and held the flag high for repossession of the Falklands Islands. But that's their problem, that was their situation. They were under pressure and naturally they put pressure on everybody else. If you're not our friends, well, then you're not our friends and, and um, maybe they felt that we were enemies, which we weren't. Back on the tour of South America, Liam Brady had had enough. At that time, soccer was still a very distant second to cricket in Trinidad and Tobago and with his wife expecting a baby and in need of a new club in Italy, not to mention the whole sorry FAI saga, he decided to skip the final leg in the Caribbean. For me, the two games were Chile and you know, Trinidad come off it. You know, why are we going there? You know, so, and I had all these things going on in the background, so I wanted to get out of there. And uh, well, unfortunately, I couldn't manage it with flights, so I ended up going to Trinidad. Ireland played two games over the course of three days, winning one and losing the other. And we played on the, I think it was the Oval, the cricket grounds. Uh, I actually scored, I think. The record books state that the boys in green lost 2-1 to the national team of Trinidad and Tobago and won a friendly against the club side ASL 3-1. Owen Hand believes to this day that the results were switched. Not that it mattered much in the greater scheme of things. How can you be happy that you're, you're fighting over the fact that Trinidad and Tobago, you beat them, even if it's true, when you're coming back from a 7-0 drubbing against Brazil? When I was coming back to Ireland, it's the last thing I was thinking of, arguing the point about what was the game about. I mean, it's, it, that wouldn't, couldn't, it, it wouldn't make sense. So it, it, it was ridiculous. But it's down to the record books that we lost to Trinidad. June 2nd, 1982. Ireland returned home after three humbling defeats and 50 hours of flying over two weeks. It's unclear how much money the FAI did make from the tour but FAI Secretary Padre O'Driscoll called it a success. In the South Atlantic, the end game was in sight too. After 10 weeks of failed diplomacy, intense fighting and tragic loss of life, Argentine forces surrendered on June 14th and Britain reclaimed control of the Falkland Islands. Ceasefire in the Falklands. The Argentine junta says the fighting stopped until tomorrow afternoon. No confirmation from London. The Argentinians retreated. Our forces reached the outskirts of Port Stanley. Large numbers of Argentine soldiers threw down their weapons. They are reported to be flying white flags over Port Stanley. There was a colossal loss of life at that particular time. Totally, totally unnecessary. Difficult time, very emotional, and thankfully it finished up fairly quickly. For all the chaos, Ireland's tour to South America was the pinnacle of Johnny Walsh and Mick Fairclough's football careers, with their only international caps. They are my pride and joy. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, they're not very big and they're not very flash, but they're mean a lot. 
if you've been a sportsman, to, to play at that level is a definite honour and, you know, you feel humbled that you've been e even able to, to get those, you know. I do anyway. And there's a, there's a funny story about the cap because the cap has a two on it, which signified the amount of caps I got. But I only got one cap, <laughs> which I can only presume someone in the, the FEI offices looked at it and saw the cap was against Trinidad and Tobago. Oh yeah, Trinidad and Tobago, that was two countries, he got two caps. So, so that's a funny story, I love telling that to people, like, you know. <laughs> the shambolic efforts of the Football Association of Ireland were a world away from what Liam Brady was used to at the top level in Italy. They were so amateurish that they didn't see anything wrong with it, but it undermined Owen with the players because uh, he was trying to, you know, make excuses for things that were none of his doing. But now, nearly 40 years later, even Liam Brady and Owen Hand can laugh about it all. I can well appreciate those lads who played on that tour saying, well, that was great for us, like the League of Ireland lads, and they were great. We, we got on great together. Everybody got on really well together, you know. Happy memories, good good time. A good time was had by all. I can look back at it now and smile and whatever, but it was, it's, it's kind of uh, frustrating to think that, number one, after that campaign, the reward turned into this nightmare of a thing that should have been a really fantastic experience for players. Instead, turned out to be quite the opposite. It was just a fiasco, really. Yeah.